0: Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at BrickLane Brewing. We are grateful for BrickLane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 Triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go.
1: This is the final word daily, the T20 World Cup Super 12 stages coming out of the UAE. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins uh, today was all about Pakistan. Well, it was a bit about South Africa as well. Uh, Let's start with the former of those Pakistan versus New Zealand on the fourth day of the Super 12s. Adam, tell us all about the game in 30 seconds or less.
2: Yeah, a ripper of a win for Pakistan that really assert themselves as favourites in this entire competition. They restricted New Zealand to 134, principally due to Harris-Rauf taking four wickets and bowling the house down. No New Zealand player made more than 27. With the bat, they were in some strife. They did the 37 from the last four overs, having already by that stage lost, I think it was five wickets. And then Asif Ali, 27 not out from 12 balls. And Shaab Malik, who made his international debut back in 1999, sealed it with a, a, a monster six in the Pernod uh, What ended up being the penultimate over. Uh, They win with eight balls to spare. Uh, They are
1: flying. Pakistan are on. A uh, brief mention before I start for the Brazil women's team as well, who took five wickets in the final over to defend two runs and beat Canada. Uh, so things can happen in the game of cricket. Um, but what we're seeing at the T20 World Cup is maybe it'll be a low scores-ish tournament. I mean, things went that way in the windy South Africa game. And uh, look, Pakistan always looked like they had the chase relatively within control Um, but it was still New Zealand being held to a a low score despite not being bowled out Um, and then Pakistan not you know romping to it with five overs to spare but having to do some work for it at the back end.
2: Yeah, it was the way they were able to flick the switch. I actually don't think it looked like it was in control. QuickViz had New Zealand on their winviz up in the 60s when they took three for 11 to, to get rid of the middle order, um, including players like Hafiz and then Rizwan outleg before wicket. It was the spinners of Sartner and Sodi doing the job. Uh, and Zaman came and went quickly too uh, at number three, having not needed to bat in the first game. Uh, and Barbara Azam was out early. So it was relying on a different group of players. They had their match winners uh, in the opening game, which of course were Barbara Azam. Uh, Rizwan and Shaheen Shah Afridi this time it was a different group of players Uh, and at the end as I say they needed 37 off 24 and they got it done in 16 they were able to flick a switch they were able to shift gears as if who who wasn't necessarily a a, a, well a must select for this competition he's had a bad couple of years a modest couple of years we all know how capable he is but it it would have been easy to have overlooked him for this competition but they backed him in and then Shah Malik uh, a tremendous story on so many levels really still doing it batting today in the bandana at one stage a bit of a throwback to the 90s there (laughs) as well so um, and yeah they they were able to polish it off with four big sixes and uh, they were able to take down Southie consecutive sixes for Asif off Southie then he bowled a bouncer so that whacked as if in the face. My impression, having watched a fair bit of international cricket with concussion tests in the last six years or so since they've been mandatory, was that he wasn't completely right. I mean the physio came out, the doctor came out on, on two occasions. There was a a long delay in play, but I suppose the, the rule of thumb the rule of thumb uh, prevails If you're batting well, uh, you don't come off with concussion. You only come off with concussion if things aren't going quite so well. And he did hit a six in, in that second last over to take mm-hmm. it down to two to win. So um, I suppose from a cricket perspective, the ends did justify the means. But uh, there'll certainly be questions asked about why he was permitted to continue uh, when he was sort of shaking his head and blinking quite heavily into the night sky. So uh, a talking point coming out of the game. But 27 not out off 12 balls. It was it was uh, finished expertly down there at number 7 seven.
1: It's one of those things that makes you worry when it comes down to how, how essential the player is and also being relatively close to the finish line. You know, if, if, yeah, if that's you, right. the team management knows they only have to be out there for another couple of overs, that's the temptation. But what happens to that player if they get hit a second time? Um, let's look at the Pakistan bowling. So yeah. It's interesting that this, this wasn't a Shaheen Afridi tears through the top order sort of game, but it felt like the, the concern about him was enough that it almost removed him from the game as a scoring option. New Zealand weren't keen to attack him at all. Then Imad Wazim uh, comes in and bowls very frugally and takes wickets. Um, And then it's Harris Rauf who comes in and does the cleanup, um, mows through four wickets, bowled really quick. Um, And so suddenly you've got literally a triple threat in this Pakistan bowling attack that you can't just look to see out one bowler because there are dangers elsewhere as well.
2: Yeah, he was fast, he was full. His first delivery was over 150 kilometres an hour and his second ball squeezed Guptill, deflected off the pad onto the middle stump. And you can only do that uh, at his kind of pace, up above 93, 94 mile an hour in old money. Um, he's, a, he's a real talent. Uh, so yeah, he set them going, remembering uh, that that New Zealand hadn't exploded through the power play, but were going okay. They were going all right mm. to that point. Imad Wazim was a conservative option, but bowled well off the top. Oh, one for 24 from his four overs bowled straight. It, it did a job for them. They did see out Shaheen Shah-Afridi. Daryl Mitchell played him quite nicely. Uh, I, I've got here the Middlesex jacket on tonight. Uh, Middlesex's own um, Daryl Mitchell facing Middlesex's own Shaheen Shah-Afridi, who's joining the club next year. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, the, the, um, you know, they got through that part. And no one made more runs than Mitchell's twenty-seven. Uh, Williamson made 25 and Conway made 27 I think it was as well Conway looked apart at different stages but they weren't able to completely put the foot down uh, they lost wickets through the middle order Williamson was run out in rather comical fashion pushing a ball back to Hassan Ali and he picked it up in his follow through and, and pegged the stumps down and uh, at one stage you're kind of thinking well where's the glue here where's Ross Taylor uh, who isn't part of calculations at the moment of course but yeah they, they kind of limped to 134 with Harris-Ralph coming back uh, they took 4-4 mm. four for four- 44 from the last seven overs of New Zealand's innings where they're only able to strike three boundaries in that stretch of play. So. That, that, that reinforces the point that Pakistan were able to close it out perfectly with the ball. They got a, you know, a relatively uh, straightforward start uh, in their readings as well uh, until uh, until Barbara Zahm was bowled for nine. And then Fakir Zaman hit a massive dinger out onto the freeway, but wasn't there for much longer, hitting he showed his first ball for six. Uh, Muhammad Hafiz uh, took a wicket with his first ball, Jimmy Nisham. And then hit Jimmy Neesham for six from the first ball that he faced. I was going to make that Yuck. Hall of Fame, maybe I will. Uh, but Muhammad <laughs> Hafiz at 41 years of age. So it's a wonderful blend. I mentioned Shah Malik making his uh, international debut four years before T20 even existed. Uh, Hafiz still there, exciting fast bowlers, a brilliant captain, an outstanding wicketkeeper, batsman opening with him. Uh, yeah, it's starting to build, isn't it, that Pakistan should be uh, the team to beat in this group and probably the competition.
1: Yeah, Shoaib Malik just impressing his teammates by having memorized uh, all of One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies, you know, <laughs> he's, he's just he's just really really leaning into his roots, a lot of fun in the dressing room. Um, he does it amazing
2: so, <laughs> when you're gone Brian Adams Mel C duet there with Muhammad Hafeez. So they go back to 999 and there and their early days of international cricket.
1: And and we look at Pakistan in their group. I mean, Afghanistan, Namibia and and Scotland. Uh, that's, oh, they're through. That, yeah, um, they'll look. There can be slip-ups, but they've beaten the two main rivals uh, in their group, so they're flying. If we cross over to the other group. I'm going to do South Africa and the West Indies in 30 seconds or less, which might be more of a challenge given it was quite a few hours ago and I've just been watching the other game and soaking everything up there. But um, a weird sort of game. Uh, Evan Lewis at the top clobbering 56 quickly and Lendl Simmons could not hit the ball off the square. 16 off 35 balls he made. Mm. And that, I mean, that all but choked the game off the West Indies uh, they ended up limping to a pretty subpar 143 for 8 couldn't really get any momentum going um, and South Africa in the end chased it relatively easily Markram um, and Reza Hendricks did the job for them uh, Hendricks at the top and Markram through the middle um, and, and they chased it what five down and, and looked pretty comfortable
2: Yeah, and Rassi, my boy Rassi, contributing to an unbeaten 83-run stand with Markram at the end, who made a half century. Yeah, it felt like they just had that in control the whole way through the chase. The West Indies weren't able to, with the exception of Lewis, really deploy their six hitters. I know Gale hit a couple before getting out, and Pollard walking out with the wide-brimmed hat uh, hit one too, the captain down at number six. But yeah, the the squeeze was on. Uh, Bizarre innings from Simmons. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was a corrective, well, there seemed to be a corrective on what happened when they were out, uh, all out for 50-odd in, in the opening game, Jeff, but uh, it didn't work because he faced, I think it was 29% of the balls for 11% mm-hmm. of the runs and it was the second slowest innings in the history of this competition for players who faced 35 balls, which, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend a player as capable as Simmons. We saw that in this comp five and a half years ago. Could be reduced to what he was today.
1: Mm. Well, and, and I don't know why I said five wickets down because they were two wickets down. Um, I just thought they couldn't have won that easily, but they <laughs> did. I, I It felt like the first couple of overs um, that Simmons faced was about the other night. It was about just making sure that he bedded himself in. But after that, he just could not get going. The number of times that he hit straight to cover or straight to mid-wicket inside the circle. Um, the, the number of times he went after the ball hard and still wasn't able to score, was dragging mm. bottom edges. Uh, he only scored in singles. Literally, his only scoring shots for the entire innings were ones. <laughs> um, it, it, it's the sort of innings that you don't, see in in t20 cricket and I think in the end he basically did give his wicket away he, he backed away and and tried to, to slash a, a leg cutter from Rabada that, that went on and hit his leg stump but he was just trying to put anything on anything at that point um, and almost hoping that it would hit the stump so he could get out of there but yeah it, it looked like an argument probably 10 balls earlier than that for a strategic retirement um, and that's something that we we never see teams willing to do um, there's always the hope that the player will come good and and sometimes they do like a Rahul Tewatia kind of style where they you know suddenly flick the switch and start putting balls over the fence. But Simmons is a six hitting first kind of player, yeah. um, and I suppose you can just have those days where you can't gauge the pace of the ball for whatever reason and, and you can't make it happen. But yeah, it was mortally damaging. Um, West Indies were trying to play catch up there after this interesting thing where Nicholas Puran came in at three instead of Gale at around the 11 overs had gone by that point. And I'm pretty sure that was because they knew that Gale's a slow starter and they thought they couldn't really afford to send him in to be batting with Simmons the way he was going. They, they wanted Puran a, a more dynamic sort of early scorer. And then they had to send Gale in eventually at four. And, and he did um, clear the fence once as he, as he suggested. But, you know, South Africa had given themselves flexibility by bowling Aiden. Markram up front, something they didn't do the other night that cost them against Australia was using up their spinners early. Instead, they used Markram's part-time spin for three overs during the power play. The first two overs were a great idea. The third one got clobbered, somewhat predictably, but that at least gave them the latitude that they didn't have to bowl out Shamsi later when he got collected by Pollard and, and by Gale. They were able to switch things around. Um, 10- Temba Verma didn't have to use Pretorius until later in, in the innings um, and then had those options up his sleeve. So there was that bit more flexibility for South Africa that made a big difference.
2: Yeah, I, I like their bowling in this tournament. Uh, Nokia went for just 14 from his four overs. Rabada hit the stumps of Simmons. Uh, the two spinners are two of the best in the world. Uh, and then you've got Pretorius, who went around a little bit at the end uh, on Saturday against Australia, taking three wickets bowling at the very death I like the the way that Bavuma captains a couple of times. I mentioned it on the Daily Pod on Saturday that he he is he's a very good field setter which counts for a lot in T20 cricket. We saw today almost like a very short straight hit and it saved mm-hmm. a couple of boundaries and contributed to a catch being taken in that position at the death. So, Bavuma is a thinker on the game, an experienced player uh, and doing a fine job on that front. So, yeah, it was set up by the bowling, clinical batting, Markram's a star. Um, Rassie van der Deersen, uh, as I kind of uh, foreshadowed on the Guardian blog the other day, I said something like, this guy is ready to take down a global tournament. He made a century in the warm-up game uh, last week. Of course, he got out for a duck against Australia and uh, made me look a bit silly. But I feel as though he's got all the all the school all the skills there and all the tools there as well. So, um, one to keep an eye on through the competition. They'll they'll do well to get out of the group. Let's be honest. They've they've lost their first game and they've beaten the Windies, who look like they're they're going like a bastard But still, I wouldn't cat them out of taking down a couple of scamps along the way.
1: Yeah, the West Indies almost on their way out, the defending champs, um, after a lot of us thought that they might go a lot deeper into this tournament. Um, Reza Hendricks batted beautifully, pace or spin yep. doesn't seem to bother him, um, and Aidan Markram in the middle order has been a revelation. We've, we're so used to seeing him as an opener, um, but he's he's a, he's a player who I don't think anybody was looking at in calculations of, of who might be key to South Africa, but his half century was, um, it was aggression at just the right time, so it was really good to decision making um, and and that was key in, in making sure they got there with no alarms so if we head into the Hall of Fame I think my principal nomination has got to be that one that you mentioned of Bama's captaincy with the straight hit now he had that he had that player in position for Russell Andre Russell and for Pollard um, it was Um, just about a mid on like just to the bowler's side of mid on but almost directly behind the bowler and he almost had both of those players caught there as they went just over the top of that player and then did have Pollard caught there an over or two later and it was clearly planning from seeing how often they back away and hit straight back over the non-striker stumps and back down the ground and that those shots are usually lofted for the first 20 or 30 metres and then land so having that player in that position I mean it, it was it was keeping the requirement of having a fielder inside the circle but also defending the boundary in that way
2: Yeah, I liked it a lot and I'm going to note on the way through that with Woodstock cricket it's like going to a bridal boutique for your cricket bats. It's that personalised service that we like to talk about at woodstockcricket.co.uk The offer code is TFW20 and by that I mean next week I'm going up to Nottinghamshire and they're going to kick Mm -hmm. me out personally in their showroom. You get the personal touch there. Affordable cricket bats woodstockcricket.co.uk and some of the best bats if not the best bats in the world offer code TFW20. Um, I just enjoyed Muhammad Afi's being um, able to hit a six first ball off Nisham uh, and then to dismiss the, the same man with his first delivery. Um, he was also uh, out himself to a blinding catch from Devon Conway which looked like it was going to be decisive in the final analysis. Conway um, had a long way to run in from long on dived at full stretch and dragged it in Um, Conway's already becoming Jeff a senior player in this New Zealand team across the formats it feels like he arrived about 10 minutes ago but he's essential to New Zealand's fortunes in every game he plays not least in this competition so uh, a note for him uh, on the way through Uh, Jeff so we've got the Hall of Fame Uh, before we finish up uh, we should address the the Quinton de Kock omission from today Uh, I I think it would be disingenuous for us not to I know we're trying and stay away from the issues on The Daily Show. But uh, the statement went out from Cricket South Africa saying it was crucial that... Their players, with all the history in South Africa, uh, showed a united front uh, by taking the knee as one. Uh, And Quinton de Kock shortly thereafter said he would be missing on personal grounds. Now, from my perspective, Jeff, we've seen a lot of back and forth on social media in the usual way about this. But um, taking the knee, uh, listen to what Michael Holding said last year and this year as well and wrote about in his book. Taking the knee aligns you with the anti-racist movement open and shut. If you want to align yourself with the anti-racist movement, you take a knee. It's no more political than that. It's not some broader campaign. It's about allying yourself uh, with, with other athletes around the world and other people around the world of colour uh, to say uh, that you are with them and you are also anti-racist. And that is the standard that Quinton DeCock wasn't willing to meet today.
1: I understand people saying that it it has to be a a matter of choice and and that that's what makes it meaningful and that is true from a personal perspective. Uh, it's also, you're also representing a country and representing a team. It's not just about being an individual out there. And I think it did jar for people in South Africa that there was such a motley collection of responses um, happening when that moment happened before the game with South Africa's players, some standing, some kneeling, some bowing heads, some not, and and Quentin de Kock notably not joining in with that in any way. If, If your point of making a a political protest, as it were, is refusing to play in a World Cup match for your country because you're being asked to make a gesture against racism, that seems like a, a pretty weird place to draw a stand. So in terms of the country he's representing supposedly Um, it makes a lot more sense in that context for there to be a requirement for a unified front than it would necessarily for for any country
2: yeah that's right and Cricket South Africa's position on this until now was that you could take a number of different actions you could stand to attention uh, you could take a knee you could put your hand on your heart well the cock was doing none of those things so he was the catalyst in some ways uh, for the decision that CSA made and they are very clear in their statement it also has to do with the history of systemic racism in their country so Um, I don't think it was a particularly uh, high bar to clear for him to align himself with with players in his team and and so on. But uh, the debate, doubtless, will continue and continue and continue now that he's um, left himself out of the... The game today, I, I don't expect to play again in the tournament. I don't see Cricket South Africa uh, changing their position, so it could be a, a massive storyline uh, for this African team. Uh, Jeff, let's leave it there. This has been uh, the fourth day of the Men's T20 World Cup 2021. If you like what we do, uh, you can join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Find us on all the social media platforms and tell your friends. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with the fifth day of this competition. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Until then, good night.
0: I had to go Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks, once again, to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.